The tackle situation heats up at OTAs as we look at who will protect Patrick Mahomes come 2023. That, the receivers, and what's the philosophy right now as they train for mandatory minicamp upcoming today on Locked On Chiefs. From the land of the free and the home of the Chiefs, this is the Locked On Chiefs podcast. Welcome back, friends and neighbors. We appreciate you. Hope you're having a good Monday. Thanks for coming back with us, making this your first listen. Check out another lock for your next listen, because we are free every day on every platform here, starting on YouTube, where you can like, sub, and hit that bell right now, as well as Spotify, Apple, all the good ones. Forgive the thunder in the background. If you're hearing that, we're brought to you by FanDuel today. This episode and all of them, the official sports book of the NFL. Make every moment more at FanDuel.com slash locked on. Now, lot to go over in the incremental process towards the, what is the culmination of the off-season period, the mandatory minicamp that's coming up later. We want to give you a look at where things are right now. I'm Ryan Tracy, the founder of Rogue Analytics and Performance Consulting, NFL33.com, and RGR Football. And I'm Chris Clark from Chiefs Corner. And when we start looking at what this is going to mean for the OTAs getting ready headed to minicamp and preparation for training camp, there's a lot that plays into all of it. Yeah, there, there's a ton. And if you want more uh, updates, news, et cetera, if you want to get in on the action, make sure you text us and get in on the text line. It's 816-357-8781 to get in to the group text uh, that we've started here for the channel. And that's going to become more prominent as we get to training camp and the season. Um, the number one thing off the top for me, and Andy spoke at the end of last week, uh, so not when they they culminated this group of OTAs, which did run through Saturday, kind of in the middle of it. And I thought what was really telling is um, a, a couple of notes on the tackle situation. Um, heard this from uh, Juwan Taylor as well, who spoke. But the bigger culmination is that the offensive tackles seem to be pretty set in stone. Not a lot of variation between uh, Donovan Smith on the left, Juwan Taylor on the right. And that's pretty much the way it is. There's been a couple of things, some notes that you guys should know in that. Uh, Juwan Taylor mentioned very specifically that they've asked him to be ready to play both sides, and he says he's good to go. And when pressed on in-game situation, he feels he can make the flip from right to left inside of a game, and he's he, as he put it, uh, I'm athletic enough to make that no problem. I should be able to move over there. That's really the scenario that I'm most concerned about, like having – that kind of, of ambiguity back and forth, I'd like to have that be the, the, the truth. Is there a case where you're a little bit more concerned or are you more comfortable? Are you happy that uh, the Taylor's right now on the right and that looks to be predominantly where he's going to be? I'm happy that he's there and I hope he stays there. And, and quite frankly, I would also appreciate them not making him move over to left tackle with mid-game. <laughs> mainly because when you start moving pieces around like that, then you start weakening other positions as well as the position, the first position. So in my mind, leave the right tackle where he is, bring in the swing tackle. And uh, I mean, if you have to absolutely switch, you have to absolutely switch, but I would at least want to go the swing tackle route first versus just moving Taylor over. Cause then you're weakening both tackle positions. Yeah. And that's, that's certainly, uh, I think a standing philosophy that we have to be really cognizant of. That brings me to the second observation, uh, not something that was disclosed in the press conferences, but the information is that when Donovan Smith had to miss a couple of days in OTAs, this recent group, the guy who took his first team reps at the left tackle spot was not Juwan Taylor. They could have experimented and moving him over and just, you know, give him the looks there. 
But they put Wadi Morris in at left tackle with the ones when Donovan Smith wasn't able to go. So that is a step forward, certainly on the left side, but possibly in that swing position you were just talking about. Yeah, it definitely is. And the bigger question is going to be when you start getting into, you know, training camp, are they going to do the same thing if, if Smith misses any time uh, with, a, you know, even just a small injury? Or are they going to put in, you know, are they going to move Jamon Taylor over? I'm not so concerned about it in OTAs, and I'm not going to make that big of a deal out of it in OTAs because they're running against air. And to mm-hmm. me, quite frankly, it makes a lot of sense to actually put one E. Morris in in that situation so he gets more reps, so he gets more practice with the first team. It'll help bring him along a little bit quicker. Agreed. It gives you that kind of like exposure that you can then take a step back. Donovan Smith did get back in the lineup here uh, as the last group of OTAs was was going on. So it wasn't permanent. But I, I took away the, the positive side for me was that it wasn't just, you know, a couple of drives. It wasn't an experiment for a day. It was multiple days <clears throat> where he was the guy that, that stepped in with the ones. That gives him exposure and, quite frankly, the ability to, to ask questions, pick the brain of, and just work next to Joe Tooney, which I think helps the rookies' development no matter what. But it also tells you that they're taking a significant look, not just, uh, you know, a few drives to, to get a feel like they wanted to see down in, down out for a couple of days, what that could produce. And that tells me that maybe it is a two man process where Lucas Nyang is going to stay on the right and maybe Wanya is going to look at the left where he played prior to Oklahoma, but wasn't that successful. So for me. It's about the footwork. It's about the connection with Tooney. It's about understanding not just the the philosophy of the whole offensive line, but specifically what he has to do as a left. I'm a little surprised by it. Are you? I'm a little surprised, but at the same time, it also makes sense from the other direction. I'll play devil's advocate for a second. To me, it makes a lot of sense to keep Jawan Taylor where he is so he can get acclimated to the position and get acclimated to a new team and the players around him. So it makes a lot of sense from that perspective you want to try to get that chemistry, and really, this is where it goes even more than that. You want to try to get the chemistry between, you know, Trey Smith and Jawan Taylor as big as it can be and as good as it can be before the season starts. That means him getting as many right tackle snaps as he can possibly get because that's where you're figuring he's going to play. If something happens and he ends up playing left, that's a whole different situation. Then you have to make adjustments. But right now, it's a situation where. You want him trying to get acclimated to playing next to Trey Smith, get the chemistry together, because that is something they can work on in OTAs. They can talk. They can figure out different things between themselves. You know, this is how I'm going to handle this. This is how I'm going to handle this. And you can see what a player does and how he reacts to whatever he's thrown at. You know, Whatever's thrown at him, sorry. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It is something that you need to build, and it's not just that position. Uh, building chemistry has to happen all over the place. And coming up next, we're going to talk about Skymore and Rasheed Rice and how they're coming along in that chemistry, not only with the quarterback, but with the offense. But right now, you can make a fast break towards the NBA playoffs and get in on the action with FanDuel. Right now, they're giving new customers a no-sweat first bet with up to $2,500 in bonus bets available if your first bet loses. That's $2,500 in bonus bets that you can earn back if your first bet doesn't win. Just that simple. There's no better place to get into the action. And the playoffs in the NBA are one thing, but obviously you have all kinds of action that's coming for the NFL season. And right now we're talking seven weeks to training camp here, folks. The countdown is on. Go check it out at America's number one sportsbook. It's at FanDuel.com slash locked on. You can see it right here 
if you're on the YouTube channel. That's for a no-sweat first bet for up to $2,500 in bonus bets if your first bet does not win. That's at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. It's FanDuel, the um, official sports betting partner of the NBA, the MLB, and most importantly, the NFL. Second most importantly is being able to bet on yourself and how you get along with your quarterback. And I think that's the next big thing that we got out of this last OTA session. And that is that Sky Moore has been putting together a really nice offseason so far. And Andy Reid singled him out as someone who is making a lot of plays, making uh, themselves really, really felt in the process. Now, Blaine Gabbert had uh, some things about him as well. Um, Gabbert had a, a nice week this last week and had pointed out that uh, some guys are making plays. Sky Moore was one of them. The other was the other rookie, Rasheed Rice. And for a guy to come in as rookie and earn some of these kudos from Andy, this is the perfect time. Doesn't mean it's going to happen in training camp. Doesn't mean it's going to happen in the season. But I honestly didn't expect it. I thought Rasheed was going to have to have a little bit of a more of a transition time. But one thing that Andy Reid did point out was they, they're building camaraderie and chemistry with each other as well as the quarterback. Well, and that's exactly what they need to do. And Rasheed Rice has made some plays in training. Sorry, at OTAs already. I want to say training camp. I'm ready for them to get to the pads on and, <laughs> and be able to see some of what we're actually talking about. I mean, OTAs is one thing. We've talked about it every single year. You know, you see guys in shorts. You see what they could do against players in shorts. It's when they get the pads on to see how they really adjust to the team and, and what they're able to adjust on the field. And that's going to be more important with Rasheed Rice and Sky more than anything else. I mean, you start looking at putting the pads on and getting them to be doing different things that they're not used to doing. Uh, specifically, I'm talking about Rasheed Rice in this situation, you know, learning a new playbook, learning the different ins and outs of the cuts they want him to make, the routes they don't want him to run, how they want him to set up different routes that he's running. All of that becomes different when you get the pads on because you're not able to move near as easily as you were before. Uh, you should, I mean, you're going to be able to move, you're going to be able to be as agile as you can, but at the same time, it's going to change a little bit. And it's getting to that point, knowing what you can do and being able to focus and get open for the QB and, and still make plays. Rasheed Rice, it sounds like, made a huge catch 40 yards downfield. And they did not say, from what I heard, did not say who the QB was, uh, but it was a contested ball catch 40 yards down the field. And that's exactly what you want to be hearing about from a rookie wide receiver. Yeah, and that's the hope uh, specifically for Rasheed, for one of the skill sets that he brings to the table. He's not a burner. Um, he does represent that contested ball option. Um, do we see that more from Mahomes? It's a possibility. I don't know if we're ready to bank on that yet. But this feeds into the conversation. Like, If Rasheed is making progress, and we see that through mandatory minicamp this coming week, and then if he is able to continue that come training camp, is there really a need for DeAndre Hopkins? Because – D-Hop, obviously, is going to be a contested catch guy. He's going to be a guy that knows how to get open. He even said so over the weekend uh, with some, some comments flying in his way. Uh, he has been on a visit to the Tennessee Titans, as we understand. Um, there's some connection there. I have trouble seeing a guy at his age, at 31 years old, wanting to go play for Tennessee. You cannot see a playoff berth for the Tennessee Titans from here. Uh, maybe if you squint real hard, you could see a 500 record. I don't see a playoff berth, so... I feel like this whole conversation is Diop kind of like sequestering himself for what could be teams uh, getting the ball rolling 
but I think it does get affected by Rasheed Rice. Do you think that those things should be completely separate, or do you think they are they do factor into each other? I mean, I, I think if there's an injury, it absolutely factors in. I don't know that it really factors in otherwise. I, I think that you can see what you see from Rasheed Rice, but he's not going to be the same wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins is. If you want that type of wideout on your team, you're going to go get him, and you're going to bring him in uh, regardless of what Rice does. Because the other side of it, and I'll play devil's advocate again, the other side of it is you can still use him on this team and have Rasheed Rice have just as big of a contribution as whatever he was going to do. I mean, yeah, bringing in another wide receiver, you're going to lose a little bit of the ability to move the ball around to as many players. But the reality is is Rice can still do the same thing. He can still break out. He can still have his his moments. And it might be a little easier with a guy like D-Hop on the field at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think just the, the knowledge transfer directly to guys that have similar skill set and aspect to their game, I think that goes a, a long way towards building the future for not only Rasheed, but for the, the Chiefs passing game as well. Like, I want to see that transfer over. If you can take just a little piece and put that with Rasheed Rice, that's it's money in the bank for the future. Absolutely. And you're in a good situation. I mean, we've, we've been talking about Rasheed Rice this whole time, but I think you know, you start looking at Sky Moore. Sky Moore is also a guy I think that's going to have a good season this year. And it's going to be curious, and we'll take this from the perspective of they don't sign DeAndre Hopkins. If Hopkins signs, he's obviously going to be a starter. That's going to make everybody else adjust on the wide receiver core, and you'll have to get that figured out. Mm-hmm. But with Sky Moore, it's a question of, is he going to be the guy that's on the field starting is MVS going to be the starter? Who's going to be the starting wide receivers? Obviously, MVS is going to be one of them. Who else is going to be one of your starting wide receivers? Tony is going to be one of them. We know that. But who's that third guy? Because basically, you are three deep at wide receiver, just like you are at corner. Uh, you know, when it comes to the roster, so I think Sky Moore is, is probably got the front row seat for that. But mm-hmm. there's other guys that are going to be trying to take that away from him, and I think. You know, I know Justin Watson didn't do great things last year, but he is a veteran, and that's going to be hard to play around unless Sky Moore gets to a point where he's more comfortable in the offense because he wasn't quite there that last year. Yeah, agreed. This is a big leap possibility for him, but there are guys that have that experience that kind of trumpet for now. The, the question is, how much can you learn how fast? The bigger question for the coaching staff is, how do you do that? We're to got some insight into Andy Reid's philosophy about how they build out the information, particularly at the wide receiver position, but also some others. There's some takeaways we can have. We'll get to that right after this message. So I'm always one for process uh, of how not only this staff, but, but staffs across the, the league <clears throat> go about some things. And from my experience, especially at the college level where I coached, it was always give them a, a wide view, give them a roadmap, and then start breaking it down into digestible pieces that you can then build skills on, right? Andy came out and and had some comments the other day about kind of doing the opposite, where we want you to work on this part of the offense. We're going to feed you that. We're going to get that tuned up, and then you'll become part of the bigger offense. It's a philosophical change that's different than a lot of coaching staffs go through, and it's the first time I've heard him speak about it directly. Does that surprise you? Or what do you think of that whole concept of kind of flipping it on its head? I wonder if Andy Reid's just evolving again. Mm-hmm. And it's really curious to see him take that approach because everything we've ever heard, everything we've ever seen, it's not just hearing, it's seen. Everything we've ever seen from Andy Reid is 
wide receivers are going to get thrown in. They're going to have to learn all three positions to be on the field. If you're in a scenario, and where this makes the most sense to me is it's not just Sky Moore. It's also Kadarius Tony. It's also Rasheed Rice. All three of those guys are in the scenario of if you can get them on the field and you can use them and you can use their skill sets, it behooves you to make it as simple as possible to get them on the field to be able to do those things that you want them to be able to do. You got to put them in the best position to succeed. And while Reed does that fantastically for the offensive line and for the tight ends and for the QB, and maybe to the running backs to an extent, I don't think he does it necessarily near as much or near as well for the wide receivers because his offense is so complex. If you can break it down and you give them a specific set and say, okay, here's your different, I don't know, if you want to go by formation, if you want to go by a number of wide receivers or tight ends or running backs on the field, however you want to break it down, and you get them to focus on that skill set, then you know exactly that they are ready for different positions, different uh, situations in games, and you have a weapon that you can use and pull into a game for a specific reason versus somebody that is trying to fill in that doesn't necessarily know where they're supposed to be on every single snap. It's, it's an incredible complex thing in trying to build that chemistry and, and mm-hmm. build how it's all going to go together. And I think that's, that's the bigger piece. I think that we don't get to see in the OTAs because there's so little exposure, even to the beat reporters, but it's just those little chunks. One of the other comments that really stood out to me was in talking about Sky Moore and how he's going about building chemistry and learning the offense. Um, it was, we're, we've shown him this, and we know that he's built the right way. That was the quote from Andy Reid, that he's going to go buckle down on this and get this executed and understand how to get that done. And I think that's a, another little glimpse into the process uh, pre-draft of the interviews and getting getting the right mentality guy into the building. Yeah, and I would expand on that just a little bit, not necessarily say it's pre-draft. I would say it's actually post-draft, and, and really it's getting the player into your facility, getting the player into your team, and really figuring out what that guy's about. You can do a lot of pre-draft work and figure out as much as you possibly can. But when you have a guy on your team and you're with him almost every single day for an entire year, you're going to know what makes him tick. You're going to know how he learns things and, and where he's putting his focus. And the other part of it, and this is, I can't think of a great example of who this would be, but another example would be maybe somebody that isn't acting as a professional. That doesn't sound like what we're hearing when it comes to any of these guys. It sounds like they've got guys that are fully bought in, but you're also going to know that on the opposite way. And in this scenario, it's working in Skymore's favor because it sounds like he is taking exactly what he learned last year, expanding on it and coming back hungry for more. And it sounds like he also spent a lot of time. I mean, when you look at earlier this preseason or sorry, not preseason earlier this off season, when he's working with Patrick Mahomes, how much of that is he just learning different things from Mahomes that you're not even going to think about he's learning. I mean, the simple nuances of, okay, well do this instead of do that or Mahomes being able to watch him and, and be able to watch how he sets up his routes. And maybe he finds something in the way he does his routes, the way he runs, and the, and the way he moves, and, and you know gets to his next cut, the Mahomes can focus on and say, "Okay, I know when he does this, he's going to be doing this, so I can put the ball there." And that's all about well, it, chemistry. That's all about learning how to play with the player. Sorry. No, and and I, I see where you're going exactly. And I'll even flip it. We've seen some footage this summer 
of the opposite as well, where Mahomes is like taking some of the young guys. Uh, Justin Ross stands out to my mind of a clip that I've seen where he's like, listen, when you run this at this step, I want you to turn and be ready for this shoulder. Like Mahomes, like dictating how he wants the route run. And that's the chemistry too. So if the quarterback is giving you that, that instruction, that feedback, and you can execute that, that builds chemistry instantly. That builds confidence in that player to do what he needs to do. If you don't, that's why we have some of those surprises where we're like, wow, this guy, he looks athletic. He makes great grabs, but why isn't he getting the ball? Some of these things are just communication and understanding that chemistry with the quarterback in particular. Well, and it also goes back to, I mean, it can be as easy when you're talk, talking about wide receivers, it can be as easy as taking extra steps taking just a split second longer to be where you're supposed to be. Mahomes is going to be looking based on his reads where he's supposed to be looking. He's going to expect you to be a specific place. If you're a step behind or, you know, two steps behind because you took a couple extra steps, you know, trying to get out of the break or, or whatever, that's going to throw off the play. That's going to throw off the trust he has in you a little bit. And I know that seems like a small, minute detail that isn't important, but it is. Because if you are a professional football player, you have to be on the same page with your quarterback as much as you possibly can be. I understand there's other players on the other side of the field that are trying to break you, uh, you know, out of your routes and do all that. And I get that. But your quarterback has to know that when he is expecting you to be someplace, you're going to be that place and you're going to do things the same way every time. That's one of the reasons he has such great chemistry with Travis Kelsey. I know we're talking about wide receivers, but he knows Kelsey. He knows everything and the way he sets up his moves. The reason he's able to find Kelsey the way he is is because he knows the this, this specific things. If Kelsey is doing this, he's going to be doing that. That's yeah. just the, the wavelength they're on. And if he can get that to that same wavelength with the wide receivers, it opens up the offense in a way that they haven't been able to have. And, and building on that now in OTAs is what win you, wins you ball games in January. That's, that's just the way that it comes mm-hmm. down. It is the little details. And there's a thousand of them, folks. Tomorrow, we're going to take a first look at where are the log jams? Where, where's this 53 heading in terms of what's going to be problematic? After uh, mandatory minicamp, we'll give you a 53-man rundown. But tomorrow, we're going to take a look at where those clusters are that they really have to sort through. And are those little bits and pieces, the chemistry pieces, the things that make the big changes and might get somebody farther down the road, not only towards the 53, but towards playing time. Now, if you've listened to us this far, you everydayers know that there's a thousand other shows on this network that you can go get some information about. If you're waiting for some guy to get cut, like I'm looking to hear bad news about Chris Smith in Las Vegas, so they let him go so he can become a chief. That's the kind of thing you can go find out around this network. So please, thanks for making us your first listen. Go check out another one for your next Excited about tomorrow's conversation. Matt Derrick will join us on Wednesday, as always, for his insight from inside the facility. And then we'll be back taking a look at where we're going for mandatory minicamp. Thank you for spending your Monday with us. Hope you had a great weekend. And uh, we will be back with you as we are every day, five days a week. Thank you, Locos. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you then.